you can give towards Goats and Coats on EmmausRoadSF.com slash give and designate your uh, giving there or on, or on Realm. Um, the giving for this project is time sensitive. We'd like to have all the gifts in by December 4th, two weeks from today. That will enable us to get to the funds uh, to them um, on a timely basis. Um, so at this point, I'd like to dismiss children to Emmaus Road Kids, 15 months to four years, and ask uh, Greg to come deliver the word. Goats are the, the gift that keeps on giving, <clears throat> unlike the other things. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus, where we are going to be giving our attention today to uh, chapter 6, verses 10 to 30. And uh, today, we're, we're going to bring this series, the book of Exodus, uh, to a pause after today, because next Sunday... Hard to imagine is already the first Sunday of Advent, and we will be giving a, an Advent focus through the month of December. <clears throat> the intensity of the storyline of the book of Exodus has been building, and in Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, the, the Lord says, Now, now, you will see what I will do. So it is game time, and we are ready to see what the Lord will do now. But then in Exodus chapter 6, verse 14, the narrative takes a, a, a curious turn with the sudden inclusion of a genealogy. It's kind of like, like watching an action movie with commercials. You know, you're, you're into this flow. And then there's this abrupt break for two minutes of something random and seemingly unrelated. So if, if you find yourself, as we're looking at this text today, scratching your head with regard to the purpose of a genealogy, of a genealogy in biblical literature in general, or a biblical or a genealogy in a biblical passage like this in particular. Friends, I'm right there with you. Why is a genealogy introduced here? Six chapters into a narrative that appears about to explode with action and adventure. Just when we are about to see what the Lord will do, the writer introduces a page out of Ancestry.com. Snooze fest, right? I mean, why, why here? Why now? In what way is this genealogy relevant to the original audience? Moses recorded this account for a specific purpose of specific people, specific place and time. How is this list of names intended to serve them? And does this genealogy have any practical relevance for us, for you and me, in our time, our place, our context, our cultural moment, our personal 
circumstances. And then there's the question that has weighed on me, kept me up all last night, probably more than any other. How am I going to fake my way through the pronunciation of all these names again? (laughs) This isn't our first genealogy. It's not our first rodeo. We've seen before that since this is a divinely inspired portion of Scripture, that means that this genealogy, like all the rest of Scripture, is God-breathed. This genealogy is as God-breathed as Psalm 23 or John 3.16 or Romans 8.28, whatever text captures your heart and speaks to you. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All Scripture. Romans 15.4 says, Whatever was written in former days, including the genealogy of Exodus chapter 6, was written for our instruction and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So I want to invite you to give your attention to Exodus chapter 6, verses 10 through 30, and to how these names are profitable and contain what one commentator describes as a holy surprise. So I want to invite you to stand if you're able, follow along. This is God's holy and hope-giving word. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, Carmi, These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, Shaul, son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, Shimei by their clans. Sons of Kohath. Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. <laughs> These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, Zikri, 
the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphon, Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? God's word. Let's pray. We've already prayed it. We prayed again. Would you give us eyes to see, and ears to hear, hearts to respond, Lord, to your word, your word of truth, the word of your glory, your word of salvation. We look to you, Lord. We're depending on you to do what flesh and blood is of no help to do. Let your light shine in our darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Well, one of the most striking features to me, um, perhaps for you in Exodus chapter 6, is, the, is this contrast between God's I wills and Moses' I can'ts. Seven times God says, I will. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you for a possession. And coming from God, coming coming from the infinite and eternal and absolute and unchanging Lord. One can scarcely imagine being on the receiving end of a more lavish treasure trove of love and generous-hearted care. However, to these seven mind-boggling promises, Moses says twice, bracketing the beginning of this Section in verse 12, 
But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel did not listen to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And then bracket again on the back end in verse 30. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How's Pharaoh going to listen to me? God, God, you are asking me to do something that I cannot do. People will not listen to me. They have not listened to me. They've turned on me with a vengeance. They blame me for making them stink in the sight of Pharaoh. They see me as the cause of their problems. I've been a pastor now for over 38 years. And there have been some really sweet years. <laughs> and there have been some not so sweet years. I can, I can still remember a time and a place and a people. And it was really hard. And um, had a prayer partner with whom I would meet regularly. And, and, and when he asked when you would ask how I was doing, I, I remember saying in my <clears throat> very native Minnesotan, um, oh, not so bad. I only quit five times this week. And uh, one of my sons, he was a high schooler at the time, he made the very blunt observation, you know, the only reason you go to that church is because they pay you. So I have a chapter in my past where I can empathize with Moses. If God's people don't listen or respond, then why should we think that Pharaoh, who has, who, he doesn't stand to benefit at all from God's word and promises, how's he going to listen? And so Moses comes to the conclusion, this thing right here, this organ, it doesn't work. It's ineffective. It is unfruitful. It is uncircumcised in the sense that it is unfit. And therefore, I am unfit. And therefore, I am unqualified for this task. And therefore, I quit. I, I just totally get that. <laughs> Do you get that? I mean, I'm not effective at this job. I, my spouse blames me for everything. My kids don't listen to a word I say. I'm unfit. But God just simply ignores Moses' objection. I can identify with that experience as well. Can you? God ignores Moses' self-evaluation. God ignores Moses' self-pity. And God just, he just reissues Moses' call and commission. And I believe here's, this is the meaning of verses 10 through 13. Said it last week, say it again. God is patient. God is patient with Moses. God is patient with his people. Exodus 6, 10 to 13 is an illustration once again of what really is the main point of this whole book, summarized in Exodus 34, 6, which says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So friends, we must never cease to be affected by the patience of God with his people. We are meant to marvel at God's patience. We are meant to marvel at his mercy and wave upon wave upon wave of steadfast love. Not only as it is expressed in the life of Moses and not only as it is expressed in the lives of the people of Israel, we're meant to marvel at God's patience and mercy and wave upon wave upon wave of steadfast love to us. For you see, God God relates to us in Christ Jesus no differently. This is the good news. You have not exhausted the patience of God. You have not drained His reservoir of steadfast love. And faithfulness. Oh no. And, 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 and here's the significance of that. God's patience with us. God's patience toward us in Christ Jesus. It should engender the deepest humility. And most heartfelt gratitude. We of all people. Should be the most thankful people. As people who have been treated by God. So much more tenderly, patiently, in Christ than we deserve. We have something for which we can humbly say, both this coming Thanksgiving day and every day, oh God, thank you, thank you. Because here's the thing, God has said to us, in Christ Jesus, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And we've all said at some point, I can't. So I won't. And God turns right around and says again, I will. Because I am the Lord. Now get back to what I told you to do. Exodus chapter 6 verses 10 to 13 is intended to turn our hearts and minds away from self-pity and discouragement and ingratitude and fill us with humble and heartfelt thanks. And then verse 14 comes. In verse 14 we have this sudden unanticipated appearance of a genealogy. It's so abrupt, it's... It's kind of a shocker, you know, if you're, if you're reading this out loud, you, just, you come to it, you just go, whoa, whoa. And, it, and it's, it gets the reader's attention. That's what it's supposed to do. It gets the reader's attention, at least for a moment, <laughs> just for a moment, because, you know, I, don't, I doubt if I'm understating this when I say, you know, the genealogies in the Bible, they do not make for spellbinding reading. Don't you agree? We just, we, you come to them, we skip them. We, at best, we skim them. And, and so what is Moses doing here? Why does he hit the pause button on the action by dropping this genealogy on his readers right here at this moment? And I suggest that Moses, 
by interrupting the flow of this narrative, at this crucial moment, is aiming to hold us in suspense. That's what authors, that's what they do so often. It's a literary technique. They build up this intense scene and then completely stomp on the brakes and take us back in time in order to bring more light on this pending outcome. This happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was, just, I was savoring a novel by one of my favorite Minnesota authors, Life Anger. His, his prose is always absolutely brilliant. And he had me fully attentive to this climactic event. It was, it was the setting off of, a, of an improvised explosive device at a local carnival in a small town in the North Shore of Lake Superior. <laughs> and, uh, and, and right then, it, end of chapter. And I go, what just happened? Furious page turn. And, and, and the, the next scene is this quiet meadow just off of Highway 61. I, I can imagine it in my mind's eye on the road at what I call the Norwegian Riviera. And, and, and there, there, there are these two main characters. And they're putting the pieces together of all too late of, of, regarding the suspicious activities of this eccentric resident. Oh, how could this ever happen in a small town in Minnesota? This eccentric resident of their normal little town. And I'm going, no, 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 you cannot do this. Except anger did this. And, and I soon realized it made amazing literary sense, which is precisely what Moses is doing in Exodus chapter 6, verses 14 and following. But this, this genealogy is not only intentionally and purposely placed here to kind of hold us in suspense for a bit. Moses put this genealogy to answer a very crucial, important question. So keep in mind now, right? Keep in mind Moses wrote the book of Exodus for the Israelites who are living in what, what I've referred to many times as the, the land in between. They've been nomads in this wilderness for, for nearly 40 years. And, and now they are on the east bank of the Jordan River about to cross over and take the land that God had promised. They, they represent an, an entire generation who had not experienced the exodus. They had not witnessed for themselves the mighty acts by which God had brought the people out. And now, here they are, more than likely, with lingering questions. Questions like, who are these guys, Moses and Aaron? Who put them in charge? Where did they lead us? Who gave them authority to tell us what to do? Where did they come from? It's an important question at that moment in time. And this genealogy is about to answer those very questions. The purpose of this genealogy is to communicate first and foremost... That God is and has been working. While they've been wandering in the wilderness, stuff's been going on. And it's been going on a long time. 
And Moses aims to show the Israelites and us that God has been quietly but intentionally and purposefully at work, friends, for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, long before Moses and Aaron's arriving on the scene, God was preparing the way for Moses and Aaron and their crucial role in this pivotal moment in salvation history. What's happening here and now in Exodus chapter 6, it's not some spontaneous reaction of God to the suffering of his people. Ah. Shoot, didn't see this going on. Didn't anticipate this bad boy Pharaoh putting my people through it. No, no, it's actually quite the opposite. That this that is about to happen is a part of God's greater plan and greater purpose that all the world should know that he is the Lord. That he is absolute. There is no other like him. Listen, the meaning of these names, the meaning of these generations, the meaning of of these years, hundreds of years, right? 137 years here in this uh, this person's life and generations, 133 over there, another 137. They're, They're all communicating God's purpose has been unfolding for centuries. Beginning with the patriarchs, beginning with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons, God was faithfully, quietly, but intentionally and providentially fulfilling the covenant promise that he had made to Abraham all the way up to this moment of fulfillment. Loved ones, this this genealogy, this this family history, it confirms the reality of God's continuing graciousness to his people. That generation lived 40 years in the wilderness. They were not forgotten. Those people in the land in between They were not forgotten. The meaning of this genealogy is that God is the great mover and shaper of history. This genealogy reveals the faithfulness of God. This genealogy is a testimony of God's unthwartable, saving purpose. Whatever is going down in this world, whatever is going down in our cultural moment, whatever is going down in your Life, your family. Listen, God's not surprised. He's not overwhelmed. Neither is he ambivalent. He's not caught off guard. God reigns over the ages. He is our God from age to age. That's our song that we sing. He reigns over the generations. He reigns over families. He reigns over your family. Secondly, this genealogy shows that God works out his eternal plan and purpose through human agents. 
We believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that he's working all things out according to the purpose of his will. We believe that none can stop him. But he does it through people. (laughs) Sinful people. Flawed human agents. Because that's the only kind that there are. One of the first things we run into when we start to talk about human leadership. It's just the whole reality that leadership in general, especially in our day, is suspect. And and that's especially true in the spheres of, of home and in the church, it seems. Who do you trust? Isn't the message that saturates our cultural moment... That is that it's that leaders, especially some strong assertive leader, are, are, are they to be, they're more to be suspected than respected. It certainly would have been true with regard to Moses' older brother, Aaron. I mean, if Moses felt unfit on account of the rejection he experienced from God's people, well then how much more? Aaron. Aaron, whose primary notoriety with the Israelites in the wilderness had to do with really one of the most nefarious, scandalous failures in all the history of spiritual leadership ever recorded. It was Aaron who had led the people of God to worship an idol. An idol that he had crafted Himself. How do you trust a leader like this? And yet the primary aim of this genealogy is to establish, of all things, of all things, the the credibility of Aaron to serve at Moses' side. We get that because this, this, this is a selective genealogy. It begins with, it is limited to Jacob's first three sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then lands on Levi and draws attention in particular to the the line and lineage of Levi of which the brothers Moses and Aaron belong. You you see, this, this is not just a random list of names. This is a purposeful list of names, and the focal point of this list of names is Aaron. The story of Moses' call and commission, that's already been told. But now it's important for the people to understand God's call and commission of Aaron. And it is important that they know that Aaron is first and foremost a true son of Israel. It's important that they know that Aaron Aaron has a God-given role to serve At Moses' side. It's important that they know that his God-given role at Moses' side is, it's legit. So when Moses gets to verse 26, he writes, I believe he does so intentionally. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. This Aaron, this Moses. Do you catch that? See the the order? 
Whose name comes first? It's, it's this Aaron and this Moses. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. The accent is on Aaron. But not to be confused, in verse 27, it says, it was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron, the order of names is reversed. It's because they are together. They are linked together. God's called, ordained, commissioned human agents to lead God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into the promised land. They're the credentials by which Moses and Aaron are going to confront Pharaoh. Their credentials are established by God. And it is communicated here at this point in the narrative in order to prepare the people of God for the action that is just about to come. Fireworks are going to start in chapter 7. And there will be no more suspense. And it's going to be these two men. These flawed and sinful men. These rather unheroic men that will lead the people of Israel. There just aren't any sinful men, sinless men. The only humans, the only, the only earthen vessels, it's only earthen vessels, it's, it's only flawed vessels with the same limitations, subject to the same limitations and temptations and physical and psychological variations as you and I. So are they perfect leaders? No. Is their family tree unstained? Hardly. Oh my. Aaron had some relatives to be proud of. We won't drop into giving attention to the name Phineas, but he, he, he does some good work down the road. But Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, they were clearly black sheep in his household. And remarkably, just like their father, just like their father, it seems that these two had decided to experiment in creative worship. We know from the book of Leviticus that they tested the Lord by authoring so-called unauthorized fire before the Lord. And their experiment, just like their father's experiment, was not pleasing to God. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord, according to Leviticus chapter 10. Phil Riken comments, this tragedy, referring to the death of Aaron's sons, this tragedy is a warning not to count on family connections for salvation. Nadab and Abihu came from the holiest tribe in Israel, and yet they perished in the flames of God's judgment. We cannot travel to heaven on our parents' passport. 
If we want to escape the fires of hell, we must repent of our sins and ask Jesus to be our Savior. Well, there's a third purpose in this genealogy, and I want you to notice it on this Sunday before the first Sunday of Advent. The exodus points to the ultimate exodus. The exodus that Moses and Aaron are about to lead, it's only a foreshadow of a more significant exodus. And this genealogy points to that. Here's how. Again, Phil Riken writes, there is a hint of God's saving grace in Aaron's genealogy. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means that there is something in this genealogy that directs attention to the most important genealogy. There is a hint of something in this genealogy that points to the coming of Christ. And therefore, get this, it means that it means that this genealogy in Exodus 16 is not just the history of the people of Israel. The gene, this genealogy right here, it's our history. This is our history. This is, if, if, if you are a Christian and you are in Christ Jesus, you are reading our family history. There are two names recorded here that might, perhaps to you, stand out. Verse 23, Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon. Now, Aminadab and Nashon are names that should stand out because they also appear in another genealogy. That would be the most important genealogy in the Bible, the the genealogy recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, where it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon. There they are. Aminadab and Nashon. Both ancestors of King David, both ancestors of Jesus Christ, ancestors of our great sin-bearing sacrifice. So, So think about this. Look at this. Even in the days of Moses and Aaron, God was working out His plan not only to deliver His people from Egyptian slavery, But he was also working out his plan to send a savior to deliver his people from their sins. The genealogy of Exodus chapter 6, it's significant because in it 
we see that God was at work not only to complete his immediate purpose, God was at work to accomplish his ultimate purpose, the deliverance of his people from a much greater slavery, a deliverance from slavery to sin by sending and sacrificing his son, our Lord Jesus, the Christ, for our sins. Loved ones, who, who back in the wilderness on the east side of the Jordan River would have ever dreamed of such a fulfillment? Who could have ever foreseen in this obscure genealogy that God, God had placed this precious nugget of gold for us to find as a witness to his determined faithfulness to keep his promise, a hint of the final fulfillment of his glorious plan to make us his daughters and sons. Well, let's pray with humility and thankfulness. many things, Lord, that we would anticipate that perhaps your spirit might impress upon us points where there are connections. And just, I just think of what was referred to earlier. There, 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 are, there are always are always spirits that have been crushed, broken from prolonged sufferings. And um, you spoke into that. And there are always various callings upon our lives, whether it's to be the, the breadwinner of a home, household, to be a faithful spouse, to be a faithful parent, callings into which you've commissioned us, callings and a commission to Faithfully follow you and obey you, yield to you, worship you, bend the knee to you. Callings, commissions to make disciples in this city, among all the nations to make you known. And there are always so many things that rise up and say you can't do that <laughs> that's impossible and we buy that and we feel that inability and we feel just the hardness of it all and we need you Lord to reveal to us yet again today your, your special kindness 
your covenant steadfast love to your people. That, that we, we have not exhausted your patience. So sustain us again and recommission us yet again. And I pray, oh God, specifically for those who may be discouraged by their own perceived impossibilities to fulfill their current calling, whatever it might be. Pray for the, you would encourage them yourself, oh God, you would come yourself by the Spirit and encourage and strengthen our resolve that, that we might just put one foot in front of the other again and keep moving forward, trusting, Lord, in the fulfillment of every promise that you have made because of the coming, the living, the dying, the rising, the interceding of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Stand again.